Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Veda Austin. We did this recording for my Body Electric 2.0 relaunch, and it was such a special interview. I wanted to make sure that all of my podcast listeners got to experience it. And I'm also very inspired. I'm currently recording and um, getting everything together for my upcoming summit, the Art and Science of Cultivating Coherence Summit at the end of October. Please make sure to be on the lookout for that where I invited Veda uh, to speak again and a little bit about Veda's work if she is new to you. She's a water researcher, public speaker, mother, artist, and author. She's dedicated the last 10 years observing and photographing the life of water. She believes that water is fluid intelligence, observing itself through every living organism on the planet and in the universe. She has such a special perspective, and every time I speak with her, my mind really goes down another layer of understanding uh, the significance and the communication and the messages that water has for us. So enjoy this podcast with Veda Austin. Welcome everyone to the Body Electric 2.0 Revisited. I am thrilled and honored to introduce to you Vita Austin, and we're going to be talking about the secret intelligence of water. We're going to have a conversation that you probably haven't heard, um, not on my summits or any of the summits recently. So I'm so excited uh, to connect with you, Vita, and meet you and uh, share your amazing and powerful work. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, and you are a native um, from New Zealand, and so I'm so grateful that our timing connected to have this conversation today, and we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned, the secret intelligence of water, and right along those lines is already implying that water um, is just so much more, right, than we can see with the naked eye. And I have in these summits before kind of gone down the structured water path and like the deuterium depletion and the hydrogen water and the this and the that and the this and all these different ways to um, look at water. Um, but really, you've, you've opened my mind to this whole other conversation that I um, hadn't connected with. So um, why don't we just quickly start? I know we have a lot to cover in a short amount of time, but um, just quickly, how do you get inspired to work with water? Well, one of the things that I became wildly aware of is that we are by molecular count 99% water. We're mm -hmm. like, uh, somebody actually said, we're like liquid crystal solar panels. So mm -hmm. we are liquid crystal because we're also salt water and salt is a crystal and together they give off electrical charge. We are flowing, we are an ocean and we are charged by the sun. And so in that respect, you know, we are so much more already then we observe ourselves to be with these fourth phase water eyes because actually we see everything, everything in the world through the lens of water because the eye lens is 99% water. So physically, we actually do see it that way. Mm -hmm. The inspiring part for me, I, I'm a, a water researcher. I've been studying the life of water, I would say, for the last nine and a half years. I was just very, very curious all those years ago as to whether or not water could store information. I was inspired by three people. There's a, a lot of people that have seen Emoto's work. He was not embraced by the scientific community because he sort of cherry-picked the photos that he showed us, but he never hid that. 
his work was important because it made people see themselves as bodies of water that are sensitive to thoughts and emotions and environment. The second person's work is not so well known. His name is Laurent Costa. He wrote a book called Journey into the Heart of Water. He also looks at water in its ice form when it's been flash frozen under a microscope, except that he did not want to experiment on water. He simply wanted to invite water to share whatever it wanted because he considered water to be a spiritual teacher. So occasionally he would smile at the water prior to freezing it. He was getting incredible images. He was seeing smiley faces literally under the microscope in the, in the ice. He was seeing shapes of fish. He was seeing hearts. And they were all relevant to something that had happened in his day or something he was thinking about. Thinking about. And so the other person was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus. He was a radionic engineer. He observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal, this was after he went into a Parisian meat market, appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ, and so on and so forth. His hypothesis was there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs, even though they were no longer attached to an animal. And each organ of the body has something called a sonic signature. And of course, you would have looked into cymatics. So the water within that organ still had some kind of conformity to that shape that structure of that specific organ and he believed that it was sharing information in the air with the water in the air and then it was so cold that it froze into that specific shape and I found that really interesting because he observed it with his naked eye and so I wanted to see if water had a ability to store information so I had a glass petri dish from some other work I was doing uh, prior to all of this I actually worked professionally as an oil painter and so I see the world from a very artistic lens and I did that for 15 years or so and so my whole work came out of curiosity and I didn't have a microscope back then so I thought well you know this seems to be the freezing stage seems to be where the unseen becomes seen and where we can see things that perhaps we have not seen before. So I thought I would project a thought into the water and stick it in my freezer and see what would happen. And so whilst I was holding my dish, thinking about what I was going to think about, I noticed a bit of fluff floating around in there. So I put my hand in to take the fluff out, consciously thinking, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote unquote memory because I didn't know if it was real. A few hours later, I pulled it out, held it up to the light and took a photo of it on my iPhone. That photo has inspired 37,000 photos of water responding in an incredibly artistic, intelligent manner. The picture was so large, macroscopically, it took up half of the Petri dish. My Petri dish was 10 centimetres diameter, and it was of a hand, a very, very clear, undeniable hand that looked somewhat like an X-ray of a hand. In fact, when I have showed some people that image after printing it out, they had assumed it was an X-ray of some kind. And so it is very, very clear. And it kind of freaked me out because I wasn't expecting to see that at yeah. all. Then I went out to the ocean to see if I could um, see what seawater would show me because I thought, well, if it's if any water is going to be naturally informed, it would be the ocean. And uh, when I froze it, I was a little nervous because I thought, well, if I see something relative to the ocean, it means it's real and that maybe it's not random. And so the image was of this fish with gills and a perfectly round eye and fins and tail and shape of the fish. And 
really that's what led me on to all this body of work but my technique changed significantly a year after doing that I used to completely freeze water I haven't done that in eight and a bit years in fact I look back at my work now and I find it amazing that I got as clear imagery as I did in the very beginning stages the stage that I freeze water now takes only about five minutes I was very curious about the fourth phase of water that Dr Gerald Pollack talks about the stage between molecular chaos and molecular order between liquid and ice and I observed a number of things firstly there was liquid on top and ice underneath so in my curiosity because I was opening the freezer earlier and earlier to see what was happening I basically pulled the dish out held it up to the light the water naturally drained away and the crystallography of the image was so clear was so much more profound there was so much light coming through and over the course of all these years I've observed that water freezes in, in stages in three stages the first second and third freeze and the second and third freeze kind of wash over and cloud over a lot of that first information so learning how to to actually capture that first stage is really really important part I call it the stage of creation because I've observed that water can communicate in three ways. That might seem like a crazy thing to say that water can communicate, but given that we are bodies of water and we know very well how to communicate, we kind of tend to feel that when you see water outside of the body, it's really only there to serve certain purposes, that it doesn't have the ability to observe whatsoever. However, in my work and my own personal observation, I would say that that may not be just as obvious as that. It, it, I don't think that we really know that much about water at all, nor do we know that much about the water within ourselves, nor do we understand our full potential. Mm -hmm. And some of the reasons for that are that many people have asked me, is water conscious or is my consciousness impacting the water? Mm -hmm. uh, I've had the same question and in the very early stages I would have suggested that my consciousness was impacting the water however as my relationship with water has developed and this work is very much relationship based I would suggest that there have been things that I have asked water or inspired water by that I had no prior idea of what it would show me I didn't have a picture in my mind I didn't actually know or have an outcome um, or an expectation and I have seen extremely profound things so for example uh, I have used words I have no imagery for for like the word ego and when I wrote the word ego I would say that water doesn't read words but water absorbs the energy of words so the crystallography is the crystal crystallization of the energy of a word in fact what we're seeing is that it is the crystallization of the energy of anything that it is showing you. It is actually showing you its energetic state of health uh, in many of the ways that it works. So I would say water communicates in three ways. It has a signature pattern. Mm -hmm. That is that each different type of water shows a specific pattern. Mm -hmm. It can design through an artistic expression. These are not random pictures. Dr. Jerry Pollock suggested that I actually put a survey together of 24 of my photos, which I did several years ago before even even really knew what I was doing. <laughs> uh, friends like send it out through social media and 290 something people joined the survey and it simply was a picture and it said, what does this look like to you? So they didn't know what they were even looking at. 
So 85% of the people could recognize the images for what the influence was. They didn't know what the influence was. They didn't even know what they were looking at. But uh, there were three of those images, including the hand, that got 100% of people who recognized the image for what the influence was. So I'm not talking random kind of just make it out photos of of ice that looks like um, images. It's like they're quite clear images. Uh, the third way I've got a little bit more um, interest from the scientific community because of the repeat repeatable symbols. I call it hydroglyphs. It's something I've been working on for four and a half years. It, a hydroglyph is essentially a symbol that occurs in the ice after being um, inspired by a word and it is repeatable. So I have, for example, when I gave my last talk at the water conference in Germany a few weeks ago, um, I gave 64 examples of various words. So I will write a word, remembering that uh, it's showing you an energy of a word. So for example, um, the word for imagination is, is an empty star. So when I put my Petri dish of water on top of the word imagination, freeze it using my short-term crystallographic method, and photograph it, I see these empty star. And so when I've, and I've done that 50 times, to so say I have one hydroglyph, I need to have seen it repeat at least 50 times. Mm. And that's over a period of time, not all in one go. Uh, I've discovered that these symbols have layers of meaning. So uh, for example, um, the word for uh, pharmaceutical also means chemical. For uh, um, the word winter, it also um, means change. Uh, for the word stairway, it also means to climb up. Mm -hmm. uh, and it takes a long time to discover these things. And so it is a very long process. I, you know, in my, some of my longer po podcasts, I talk about this and I, I share the work so you can easily find examples. I also share them all on Facebook and, and on Instagram. So you can rush off and have a look to see why I'm so excited about hydroglyphs and signature patterns and art. And I always say that um, art is the heart of water because it really does love to design that way. But I don't think it's a surprise that I am also an artist. So water shows me artistic expression. Mm. People that are much more scientific minded seem to see more hydroglyphs than they do art. Mm. So it, it's it's all about communication. Water appears to be sharing information all the time with us. And often it's about its journey. Even tap water. Tap water has a very disordered signature pattern. But why I think that there is an energetic state of health um, is that once you observe and know your signature patterns, so when people are learning how to do this, I always say, get to know the signature patterns of your water first. And uh, it's like inviting water, tell me about you, you know, rather than like, let me tell you about me. <laughs> it's like, it really is like a slow, good relationship, not a big ego driven one. So you get to observe them. So if you know that signature pattern, then you take that water, you can hold that glass or bottle of water to your heart when you're you're calm for one minute and then you actually freeze it again and you'll see that there has been a structural change usually you'll start to see ferns you'll start to see more um, of maple-like uh, patterns you might see a little hexagon uh, you might see a flower-like image and you'll see that the structures have changed it hasn't chemically changed but it's actually structurally changed so tap water is very much like a person who is unwell 
Mm. And that then when someone goes and gives them a hug or gives them something nice to eat or something like that, there is an improvement in the way that they feel. It might be small, it might be large, but it's kind of an attitude of gratitude. Mm. So what water is showing you is that it is grateful and it is improved because you took time to do something for it. Mm. And so it actually is a very powerful thing to see in Maoridom. My dad is Maori. There is a great deal of importance on the way in which the water feels. It's called Māori or Māori. I can never pronounce it completely right, but it's essentially like the energy of the water. And they're very, very interested to know what is the, is the, is the water happy? Is it angry? Is it sad? Like, how does it feel? And that goes for all life forms. So I think that water can easily be the mouthpiece for nature because, you know, there is water in all life. Mm -hmm. And you can use this technique in so many different ways to see the difference even between organic orange juice and orange juice you might have just collected from the um, from the supermarket. They, they show differences in patterns. Size is the big one, like natural orange juice that you just like squeeze from an orange that's just been growing on an organic tree. You know, you squeeze it in, the, the hexagonal forms that appear are very large and they have a very specific look and they float on the surface. But if you get orange that has been genetically modified and been sitting for a long time in the supermarket, you'll see that those patterns are smaller and there'll be several of them rather than large ones. So you see that, that this is kind of often a pattern for sugar, these large big kind of patterns and they have a specific way. So when you've seen or watched something long enough, you start to really understand and see what's going on. I think the real key to this is something that the ancients and the indigenous have done so well, and that is observes one thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> and then you know when things are changing, you get to understand what the nature of that thing is. And I think what the nature of water is genuinely is more of an observer. I, I think that it's kind of like the idea of when we look into a puddle of water and we see our face, Perhaps the water is also seeing our face through the lens, the interface between us and it. Mm. And that, in fact, it's able to, in certain, if you took that pond water or that puddle water and froze it, it may very well be that you see some image of you. And it is uh, very clear because I've done so many tests with using uh, photos of people to see if water recognizes features and and the images are undeniable they absolutely show that water is picking up on the different features of the person but some of the things that I've been interested in recently and so, so I started with is water conscious or is water picking up on my consciousness mm -hmm. So I, I did this whole thing with dreams where I'm like, well, you know, I'm not exactly conscious. I, you're always like, well, when are you not conscious exactly? Mm -hmm. So the dream world's very in between. So I would leave a Petri dish of water beside my bed with the intention that captures some part of my dream. And then um, when I would wake up, if I had forgotten that dream, I would freeze the water because obviously if I'd remembered it, I might project the thought into the water. So the imagery that appeared from the dream stuff was so clear. And whenever I'd see an image, it literally, for the most part, would jog my memory of what mm -hmm. the dream was. 
Uh, one in particular was I was dreaming about a sheep. I was I was actually staying out on a place on a farm and there were a lot of sheep. And I dreamt that I was like the sheep when I was patting the sheep. And there was this image that was so much like a sheep and it just made me remember the whole dream. And uh -huh. I dreamed rather vividly. And so it, it doesn't seem to ever take much for me to remember a dream through an image or a word or something mm -hmm. so I was like well how could it have accompanied me in dream time like how did that happen mm -hmm. I mean I'm kind of in my subconscious is it there like how is it picking up mm -hmm. and so I've also interviewed a number of people who have had near-death experiences I think they're fabulous I've also had one myself mm -hmm. um, whereby you are able to have a sense of being an observer and three people who I interviewed all said the same thing. They said they had the sense of rising, which I've, you have to remember water isn't just a liquid. It's it's a liquid, solid gas and a type of gel. And even there is some, somewhere in the region of 300 different types of ice. Um, the Maori actually have 60 different words for all the different types of water. Wow. So there's the secrets are in the subtleties. Mm -hmm. And well, when, when the, you had that sense of rising, if, for example, like the word for spirit, like I've mentioned, uh, is wairua in Maori, which means two waters, the spiritual and the physical waters. So if the spiritual water essentially can become within the, it's either within the ether aspect or it is, became, can become a gas. And so it's, I, I really don't know exactly how it works, but I know that it's a very powerful and real thing even if you look back biblically if you look back through scriptures you look back through ancient writings water features within so much of the aspects of spirit of soul and of creation and so I personally think that one of the reasons that people can observe themselves, so these people with that had, had near-death experiences, they said they felt themselves rising and then they felt themselves looking down, observing themselves being resuscitated, saying, oh, I hope that person's going to be okay. The three of them actually said that. And that was a very interesting thing because it was no identity of self, but watching things going on. And never in judgment. And I think one of the really powerful and very spiritual aspects of water is that it is like a witness. Mm. And it is not judging you. It is, in fact, just watching and just observing in a very gentle manner. Uh, in the aspect of electrical charge, I think that human beings give off electrical charge. That can be measured by heart math. It's a very real thing. And I think that, that the water in the air, simply by breathing, we're also putting water in the air, there's water in the air that is attracted to that electrical charge. It gives us this kind of an invisible web. Uh, it's like a, a, a liquid antenna, which is also putting water or information out into the world uh, of ourselves and bringing in information into this fluid body so that works in with our intuition it works in with our sense of things it's like how you can walk into a room and the energy feels very dense and it's like oh I don't like this feeling it's just kind of creepy and you don't know why it just feels that way well the dense energy lasts quite a long time and it, it, it does have a different impact on us 
sometimes we can go and we can meet someone we've never met before and we feel like we've known them forever and that's because the kind of patterns that we have energetically like this web so to speak around us very very similar patterns to them that's mm. what love at first sight is all about it's mm. actually not like twin flames more like twin patterns mm. and so the aspect of water being able to be the observer when we're dreaming through astral travel through near-death experience and through simply being able to observe ourselves mm -hmm. i say there's there's two worlds the one we live upon and the one we live in the one we live in is in this body and essentially everything we experience is sensory so we see with our eyes the information is taken in same with sound same with taste same with touch everything we experience in this world is actually experienced within this body. So what do we ever experience outside of our body? Well, we can observe ourselves. Even my son, uh, Rama, he's 14, 15, sorry, <laughs> just turned 15. Oh. And uh, he recently broke his arm mm. and had to go to the hospital and they gave him ketamine, which I've never seen anybody have that before. And mm. was four seconds, one, two, three. And then Rama was saying, what the and he stopped, his mouth was open, his eyes were bulging. The nurses got to work straight away, like working on uh, repairing his arm and like getting the bones set. And I could see he was not, he was not there. He was awake. He was, he was not completely out, but he wasn't with us. Right. And when he came back, he said, oh, well, yeah, no, I watched them do it. I watched them do it to my body. And so he was observing himself. So some people say psychedelic trips and they have this observation of themselves. What is all that about? And uh, even just in everyday life, I'm, have the, I use it as a tool, the observer. Even if it isn't as obvious as seeing the back of your head, for example, and watching your surroundings, sometimes it can be like if you're triggered by someone and you have a reaction, your observer self can go, oh, I wonder when the first time you felt like that was not out of judgment, simply just asking questions, observing. Oh, you seem to be having a big reaction to that. What's that about? We're mm -hmm. able to have these different conversations within the layers of what it is to be human and inquiring. Mm -hmm. And the observer is a big one. And I think electrical charge plays a big role because mm -hmm. even when the heart has stopped beating, there is still evidence to say that the brain has some activity of some kind for 10 minutes after the heart stops beating. And then even after that, even within a period of time up to a, an hour, water fluids are still can still move, allowing there to be some kind of movement, creating some weak charge so that the spirit or soul that uses that electrical charge as like the silver thread, so to speak, to come in and out of the body is able to be back in the body and be resuscitated fully. But in the meantime, has been able to go and have a full experience and awareness and observe things that we might not see when we're sort of trapped in the body in a sense in, in the way in which we have to use our senses for certain experiences. And only when we do certain things can we have an altered sense of experience where we're much more in our spiritual water aspect. So mm. that's a very small little bit about the much greater avenues that I think water can take you it's all tributaries leading to the source <laughs> but um, mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot the idea of thoughts being material there was a scientist by uh, the name of Jenna D. Krokolev he was also a psychiatrist and he wanted to see if his patients who were hallucinating 
if he could somehow capture those hallucinations on camera whether they're real or created by the brain or there's a secondary world or anything he was he was very curious and he uh, used something called a zenith camera which is a black and white camera with this kind of long lens thing and he attached it to these okay, makeshift goggles that he took the lenses out so that his patients um, were able to be in a, a room with light because they didn't like being in the dark as much but they were able to like just um, feel a little more comfortable so he was photographing their retinas as they were having hallucination in mm. this box shaped thing and he was getting remarkable photos he did this for 20 years on over 200 patients and 117 of them he was able to capture imagery and when they saw it they could say yes that's what I was seeing now this was repeated by more Russian scientists within the last 10 years except they didn't use some psychiatric patients they used <clears throat> someone who could remote view and the, the scientists they they and rather than using goggles they used like um, a scuba diving mask with no lens and they set the same thing up with the same old camera black and white camera and they stood behind a, a in a room behind a wall and as the remote viewer tuned in to the numbers and shapes they were holding up they would click someone would click the camera and these shapes and numbers appeared and they did a whole video documentary about it called something like thoughts are material it's proven it's all in russian unfortunately mm -hmm. but there are there is one which has very bad um some dubbing over the top so you can suffer through that but it's, it's worth it it's interesting work and their hypothesis was really similar to genides in that either a which is probably well i'm not going to say probably more likely because i don't know um Firstly, the brain is receiving information and information is energy. Then it translates it to the retina. The retina creates it and rearranges it into image form and projects it like a hologram, which is what the camera picks up. And the camera can pick up a lot of what we can't see, like it picks up a lot of orbs and different mm -hmm. anomalies and things like that. So it's very sensitive that way. The other alternative is the potential that there is a secondary consciousness, a secondary realm so close to us that we can't see but some can and they've kind of pierced that veil somehow that they can now see things that that we can't normally but potentially animals can mm. and so it's a very curious thing because there had to be a very focused like in your mind's eye for his work to appear whereas I'm thinking of imagery and I'm seeing imagery appear in the ice and it doesn't have to be a really really focused thought Sometimes it, I can just be, you know, thinking about something random and that random thing will show up. Sometimes I don't ask water to do anything and it will just it will show me things that are just around me, you know, like a plant, for example, or just anything like my phone. It shows me things that it's seeing things that I'm not even telling it to do it. It's wild. Mm. And, and that's actually the way we want to keep it wild. Mm. We, we've spent such a lot of time trying to mm, domesticate things and, and we are drinking what might be termed as domesticated water based on the fact that we have uh, taken this wild water and put it through so many right angles, put it through so many different pollutants and various different chemicals and things and finally it's now coming out of our tap some might say that that's domesticated and it's been given that term whereas they call spring water wild water but mm. you know you can look at a cow 
and you can say well, it's a domesticated animal there is a wild animal in the cow who has feelings who doesn't particularly want to be domesticated and mm -hmm. there is a lot of people who might not want to admit that they feel domesticated but they do and all of us in common have a wild free aspect to us and we all want to feel that and it's a commonality between us and all life nobody wants to feel that they're controlled so mm. for me I do not consider myself experimenting with water I haven't done that I actually don't use that word with my work I mm. consider myself having a relationship with water because it wants to have one with me and for me to embrace the fact that I don't want to control it every time I start doing that, we don't even realize we're controlling when it's an, until something doesn't go our way. Mm. And it's like, oh, maybe I was trying. Why, why do I feel the need to control this mm. rather than going with the flow? And so water is always showing me that this reflection of myself, this reflection of like, well, why aren't you doing it? You did it all those other times. Why not now? It's like, God, you're acting like a you know a spoiled brat here, Peter. You know, maybe just relax and don't expect it because this is like trying to befriend a wild animal. You have to be kind. You have to get to know it. You have to realize that it's the fact that it's wild, that it's choosing you, that makes it so beautiful. And I think in this, we're actually choosing to see the part of us that wants to feel wild and free, that is wild and free, the water within us. Mm. It is such a beautiful, beautiful work that is happening here. And so it's taken me on many journeys, many observations of myself, my life, of love, of all of it. I don't think you can study water and not study what it is to be alive mm. it's beautiful Vita. and you covered so much um in the short time that we had together and you know I know we could have many follow-up questions but I I love um what you've shared and I think anyone who just listened to this really summary of your relationship with water you know will be changed right um how they interact with water and so uh, I know you share how to work with water and if people want to start inviting water to um, communicate and have a relationship with them. I, I actually, oh, a woman who works with me said that she's taking one of your classes right now and she's um, just so much enjoying it. Um, so I, I love that, that you're doing that. And I think, you know, as we just kind of wrap up, and of course I want people to know where to find you is what what is the message that you want to share with the audience about how you suggest they start to really um, deepen their reverence and um, you know a capacity uh, with this life exchange, right? This life force that we uh, take for granted, right? You know, on a regular basis. So just. Any, you know, parting uh, words, I, I think would be great. A nice little tidbit, because I teach uh, a mix of science and art, and I go to speak to 12-year-old children. Yeah. And one of the things I say to them is, imagine that your skin is invisible and your organs are see-through. Firstly, what do you look like? And they always come back to rivers and streams and tributaries and things like this. One child said he'd look like a brain-shaped cloud with electrical rain shining down through him in the shape of a human. Mm. 
But then I asked them another question. I said, if you look at each other and you imagine that your skin is see-through and your organs are see-through, then how would you recognize each other? How would you know each other? And how would you know your mum? How would you know your dad or your, or your you know, anyone you love? How would you know them? If suddenly they don't have the, the way, the face that we recognize them, how would we know them? And one of the things that makes us really realize is we, we are really attracted to energy. We're really attracted to, and we recognize people through the sounds that they make through the water. You know, this aspect of, of light, water, and sound is so important. And so if you saw yourself as invisible, with your organs were see-through and you saw yourself as this flowing fluid body how would people see you mm-hmm. and I think it's a very important thing to start kind of asking ourselves because that takes away all the stuff we've been attached to and it's like oh I'm this I look like this I'm this and that and the other no we all we all look very similar but, you know, we might sound a little different. We might be flowing a little differently, but we're not viewing ourselves in the same way anymore. And I think that it's a very powerful analogy because then we're suddenly just like streams. Mm. Yeah, lots and lots of streams. <clears throat> and and we realize that actually, I don't think of water as a resource. I think that it is source. And and in fact, all these streams and these tributaries and all these wonderful things happening in the body and this shape, um, you know, we we already are source. And Mm -hmm. so we're just seeing it another way. So I think it's water observing itself from lots of different perspectives. And it's inviting us to do the same thing. And another thing I would suggest is that when it comes to drinking water and things Mm -hmm. like that, people always say, what's the best water to drink? And I could say, well, I really love spring water. If you've managed to go and collect it yourself, you form a relationship rather than getting it from the store where it's in a bottle and you don't really, you know, know exactly where it's been or what it's been exposed to or where it's come from. It's kind of like the meat. You go to the supermarket, you buy meat. You don't know the body of the animal it's from. You probably haven't been to that farm or you haven't seen how it lived or anything. Mm -hmm. You know, we have no relationship with it. So we, we, it's the same thing with water. So whatever water is, has managed to get into your glass or your cup or however you get it, it's so much water in the world. It's made its way into your cup. How amazing is that? It's been through the clouds and the trees and the birds and the bees and the earth and the dinosaurs and your ancestors. And now it's about to enter you. Mm. What kind of welcoming party do you have for it? Mm. What was the last word you spoke before you're about to drink it? This is such an important piece where I've done studies on saliva and seen that it shows the images of the last word that was spoken, bringing it back to blessing our water, being grateful for our food. All these kinds of things make a difference in the way in which the welcoming committee, which is you, either welcomes the water or completely ignores it. Mm. Oh, that's so inspiring. I, I, you know, some of my friends, we have that, you know, intuition that we, you know, we know all this about water, but at the end of the day, wherever we are, these conferences or this or that, you know, we just hold the water to our heart and try to say, oh, you know, um, we're, we're structuring it or whatever, you know, making it um, the the best water for us. And th- this work is sharing that, right? You know, this work is just combining all of these 
different fields of knowledge, right? And one, right? Water holds it all, right? You know, from looking at the biophysical and the consciousness and, you know, as you mentioned, all of these ideas around thoughts and matter. And so um, I'm just, yeah, so inspired. And I know this is the first of hopefully many conversations I'll be able to share with my community. And I know you've opened people's eyes and spirits um, to this beauty around and within them. And if people want to learn more about your work or connect with you or uh, learn from you, how do, how do they learn more? Sure. My my website is my name, vedaaustin.com. If you go to the workshops tab, there are beginners workshops every couple of weeks, although mm -hmm. I think they're almost booked out for this year, but I think there are a few spots left. I have a masterclass coming up in America, UK and UE. It's the 3rd of December in New Zealand, Australia. It's the 4th of December. I've got, uh, I basically, it's like five hours of all my work and all my thoughts, and I invite some people on. So I've got Dr. Jerry Pollock coming on to talk uh, about the fourth phase of water. I also have Venice McNeil coming on, who is the director of a series called Magical Egypt. And she's talking about how the ancient Egyptians had a very, very uh, sophisticated science of consciousness and what they knew about water. And they also, we also talk about the retina. They, they talk about how much DMT is actually in the retina. And it's how we actually project and see the world in so many ways. Fascinating how they used water as magic and medicine. And we go, I go into all my different studies and examples. I teach people, I do a, a, a live demo. And I also teach people the work I've done with egg albumin and teach them how to actually do that for themselves and see the six patterns that I've seen in free range happy hen eggs and see how different they are from caged hen eggs. And um, that's been actually one of my most shared studies. So anyone interested in that can go to also see on my um, Instagram page if you scroll down you'll find it uh, it's Veda Austin underscore water and on Facebook it's Veda Austin at water researcher mm. well thank you for your prolific work and <laughs> so many um, avenues um, I know this is uh, your heart's uh, mission and uh, thank you so much for being on the summit and um, sharing all these resources with us so I can't thank you enough yeah it's my pleasure thank you Thank you so much for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed this very special episode with the lecture and information from Veda Austin. Uh, please find out more about her um, in the show notes. And I am so grateful for you being part of our podcast community. And thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful day.